Yeah, five. I mean, five years ago, you were sitting next to dinner with me, and now it's Richard <laughs> Branson. So look how far you've come. That was really good too. <laughs> <laughs> this is the, the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, Episode Three Seventy Four. Despite its Sunshine State nickname, Florida is not the sunniest state in the U.S. Arizona is, followed closely by New Mexico and Nevada. And here's the real kicker. Florida only ranks 10. In today's episode, I get to talk with my good friend, Ruth, and we dive into a bunch of different subjects. But one of the main things we talk about is fear. And while I know there are a lot bigger fears out there, one of the fears I see creeping up with a lot of people when they first start traveling is the fact that they're not going to have everything they need with them at all times. And this leads them to overpacking. And I know that because I was in the same boat when I first started traveling. So much so, I was so worked up that I wasn't going to have everything I needed that I was carrying around two huge 50-pound suitcases with me. And as I started traveling more, I was like, this is crazy. I don't want to be lugging these everywhere. And I did begin to realize that no matter where I was in the world, I could probably find the stuff that I need if I didn't have it with me. That led me to say, I'm only going to bring a carry-on. So if you're one of those people who's like, all right, this is a bit much. I don't need everything. I don't have to worry about packing every single thing that I may need for every certain contingency that comes up. And you want to give packing in a carry-on a try. Check out Tortuga Backpacks. That's the one I've been carrying with me all over the world for the last five years. You can check it out, tortugabackpacks.com. Don't forget to use that promo code EPOP, and that'll get you 10% off your entire order. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is the powerhouse behind Living Well, Spending Less, and Elite Blogging Academy, a New York Times bestselling author, someone who might convince me to move to Florida, and host <laughs> of the Do It Scared podcast, Ruth Sukup, whose newest book, Do It Scared, just launched. Ruth, thanks for joining me. Huge welcome. Trav, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> it has been a while since we've got to talk. So just to fill everyone in, we, we've got to hang out in person in mm -hmm. Canada, I, in Toronto. How long ago was that? Five, that was, was it like five years, four years? Was it that long ago? No, it feels like it was yesterday. Like I just was randomly in Toronto with you. We were at that workshop. Yep. And then I just randomly decided to stay for two extra days and we had the best time. We had a the fantastic time. <laughs> time and we've stayed in touch and I, you've moved a few times. You've written a few books. I, you make me feel very unaccomplished when I think about the last four years. We'll get into everything that you're doing. <laughs> but what I love about getting to chat with you is like from the outside, you have a ton of great stuff going on and I, and I know it is great. But you've always been super open and honest about your struggles, the journey, and, and everything that goes in to building this lifestyle. And now with Do It Scared, you're just furthering that. So talk about why this book came about. Like how why did this idea come about? And then why did you feel so passionate about it? You're like, I'm gonna sit down and write a whole book about this because that's not easy. Well, no, writing books are not are not that easy. So I highly recommend everybody doing it at least once. But I feel like and this is every author I've ever talked to feels like they've never felt more full of self doubt than when they're writing a book. And that is this was actually my sixth book. And I have again, felt have never felt more full of self doubt than writing this book and or, or more fearful, which was ironic, considering that it's a book about fear. But honestly, like how this particular book came about because I swore after my last book, I was done <laughs> writing books. Um, Do It Scared has actually been kind of a motto in my own life. Um, you know, in my early 20s, I went through this really bad struggle with depression. And we can talk more about that in a little, little bit. But fighting my way back from that was sort of um, 
where I literally was putting one foot in front of the other. It was the, something I would say to myself every day, like you just have to do it scared. You just have to do it scared. And so, you know, it took me years to recover from that depression. And then I finally put my life back together and, and started my business and entrepreneurship was the exact same thing. One foot in front of the other. You just have to do it scared. You just have to do it scared. You just have to do it scared. And so, you know, a couple of years into my business journey when I started to get more official and and um, created my corporation and my core values and all of these things that they tell you in books you're supposed to do. Um, I knew right away that my first core value was going to be do it scared. Like that was just such an intrinsic part of of who I am and my journey and my story and sort of the way that I've operated my business is that every step of the way, I feel like I don't know what I'm doing, but I just do it scared. And so it was something that I would talk a lot about with my with my audiences. You know, I have both my audience at Living Well, Spending Less, which is more of a lifestyle mom audience. And then I have my entrepreneurs at Elite Blog Academy. And, and with both, both sets of people, I would kind of, you know, just throw it in there every once in a while. Like, you know, you just have to do it scared. Sometimes courage doesn't mean you're never scared. Courage means taking action. And I would just start. And it was something that really, really resonated. And I saw in our communities that it was a phrase that kept coming up. It was, you know, it sort of took on this life of its own where, oh, Ruth says do it scared. So I'm going to do it scared. And I realized that there was something there with with that idea and I and that we were you know that so many of us face fear whether it's just in our regular day-to-day life where we're trying to either pay off debt which a lot of my audience is you know going trying to become debt free or trying to get their finances in order or trying to get their homes in order or parenting or whatever it is and then you know entrepreneurs same thing facing all these fears and starting a business and not knowing what you're doing and I'd have so many people come up to me and say things like, you know, you talk about going after your big goals and your and your big dreams, but I feel like I'm stuck. I feel like I can't move past this. And it wasn't just one or two people that said it to me. It was over and over and over again, and it got me so curious. And so I started asking questions and, oh my goodness, watch out when you start asking questions because you never know what you're going to find. And we you're going to find a book at the end of the rainbow. <laughs> you're going to find a book. And it ended up kind of snowballing into this gigantic study of more than 4,000 people that I was not really expecting. But we had so much data. I ended up having to hire a whole team of researchers to help me dig through this data and sort through it. And and at the end of all of that, what we discovered was actually pretty fascinating. And that was sort of the jumping off spot for the book. And that's what I love about this book is it's not, hey, here's Ruth's story. She did it scared. And here's another story of, of one person that followed her. But you took a scientific approach to this, intermingled with, with your story and with, and with case studies and stuff, and said, there are different fear archetypes here. So it's not just a memoir or, or an inspirational book, right? It's, it's that mixed with we're going to help you figure out maybe where you fall, like what type of archetype you fall into, because that's going to give you logical steps to take versus just saying, you should do it scared and then leaving people hanging. So like define some of those fear archetypes, because this is, it's fascinating to me. This is crazy, the amount yeah. of work that had to go in to figure this out. Oh my gosh, it was so much. But it was really like, it was fun work to do because it was so fascinating and insightful and and the way that we've watched it play out because we've been working on this for like two and a half years and developing we developed a whole assessment that goes along with it and there's so much science that goes into this kind of stuff to actually make things that are scientifically valid and I'm not a scientist but I thankfully am surrounded by very smart people and I hired a lot of smart very smart people to help me with with all of the scientific and research pieces of it but Ultimately, what we figured out and what we realized is that fear looks very different for different people. And so much of the fear that happens in our life happens subconsciously. So we don't even realize that it's fear necessarily. We don't even recognize it as fear. Sometimes people say, oh, I feel stuck or I feel overwhelmed or I feel anxious. I'm so anxious all the time or I just I have this like unsettled feeling or discontentment or whatever. And a lot of times we don't call it fear. So people will say, well, I don't even know if I, if I have fear in my life. 
But really the underlying, the underlying common denominator is this fear and the way that it looks for different people is very different. So as you said, we identified seven very distinct patterns in the way that fear plays out in people's lives, which we called the fear archetypes. And so those include things like the procrastinator, which is also another word for perfectionist, but the, the underlying fear for the procrastinator slash perfectionist is the fear of making a mistake. Or there's the people pleaser who fears being judged or fe- has this underlying fear of what other people are going to think. There's the rule follower who has this sort of unhealthy fear of authority or stepping outside the lines. There's always this sense somewhere that somebody's going to get mad at you or you're going to get in trouble. Um, there's the outcast who fears rejection. And so for the outcast, uh, you reject other people before you can be rejected yourself. There's the self-doubter who fears uh, not being capable and not being enough. And there's the pessimist who fears pain or adversity. And then there's the excuse maker who fears being blamed. Can you tell that Ruth has spent a lot of time <laughs> thinking about this? Because you just rattled off all seven like it was nothing. I was wondering, I'm like, like it's is there going to be a little hiccup here? Does she have to think about it? No. Nope. Boom, boom, boom. Well, I, that was a hiccup. You didn't you didn't hear it. But usually I do them in order of um, in order of like popularity or not popularity. That's not the right word. Usually in order of prevalence. And I, di- I, m- I mixed it up a little bit. But okay. <laughs> what is the best. most prevalent fear so type? The, the most prevalent is the procrastinator slash perfectionist. Um, and then the followed closely by the rule follower and the people pleaser. Those are almost the same number of, of people. And then the outcast is number four. The self-doubter is number five. The excuse maker is number six. And the pessimist is number seven. Where do you fall in there? And, and I know that this isn't, uh, we should say that you probably don't fall into one bucket. People are listening like, yes. wait, I have four of these. Am I weird? Yes. It's like, it's a continuum here. Like you're going to continue. Yeah. Absolutely. So what about you? So what we do you all have like? a little bit of all of, we all have a little bit of all seven. And so for most people you have one or two, sometimes two, sometimes three that are most prevalent and they, the way they, they interact is also um, significant and our assessment actually will break that all down for you and tell you what your overall fear score is, how, and how you rank on all of them. So it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. Um, but I'm the outcast. So my deepest fear is rejection. And, um, the outcast is actually, it's the fourth most common overall, but for, for entrepreneurs, it's, more, it's far more common because I think outcasts tend to have this sort of feeling, this need to prove themselves, <laughs> as you can probably tell from all of the things that I'm <laughs> out there doing. But also, um, it's, there's this almost, um, sense for outcasts of like this fear of asking for help and this sort of rugged individualist mentality. Like, I don't need you. I'm just going to do it myself. And that really is a protection mechanism of, of of which the underlying fear there is this fear that, that you're going to be rejected, which is different than the fear of being judged. So a lot of times, so you can be an outcast slash people pleaser and you can have both, but not all outcasts care what other people think. In fact, sometimes outcasts will purposely go against what everybody is thinking in order to reject people as a way of rejecting people. So it's really like you can go so deep in it. And we've been doing this now. We've had over 30,000 people take the assessment. So we've had so much data of like how people have responded to it and just the insight that people get from it. Because the, the cool thing about it and the reason that it matters so much is, is that so much of this stuff happens subconsciously. We don't realize it's happening. We don't even recognize it as fear. We just think this is the way that we are or this that everything that we experience in our heads is truth. But as soon as you can shine a light on it and start to see how those patterns are actually playing out in your life and to start to like recognize the thought patterns that happen because we lay that all out for you, um, you can actually start to do something about it. So instead of having it happen subconsciously where you have no power over it, you actually can can have power over it. And it's sort of like going to the doctor and getting a diagnosis. And then that's when you can start to find the cure once you've had the diagnosis. Right. You can actually start to pinpoint something and say, how do I get better versus just saying, here are symptoms I'm having and, and this keeps happening, but I don't know what I have to do to get over it or to come out on the other end. What have you seen in your life as you started digging in this and you say, okay, this is this is my archetype or my main archetype is the outcast. How have you been able to make changes to counteract that? 
That's a good question. So for me as the outcast, that the, my biggest issue, I think in my entrepreneur life, and I didn't even recognize this as fear. Cause again, it was happening subconsciously. And I kind of had this idea, like I, you know, I've done so much work overcoming fear that I'm kind of fearless at this point, but the, but that wasn't true. And as I started to dig into this, I realized how much my outcastness has really held me back. Cause I've always had this sort of, I don't know, like unwillingness to ask people for things in my business. I have a hard time collaborating with other, you know, other business owners or asking people for help, even asking my friends for things because I'm always like worried or have this just, it's like a gut reaction almost that if you're not an outcast, you think like when you, people hear me say that and they're not, they have low, they're low on the outcast score. They're like, I don't get what the big deal is. But for me, like I'm low on procrastinator. I'm, I don't fear making mistakes. And so when I hear people going, I'm so afraid I'm going to make a mistake that doesn't resonate for me. And that's why it's so important to understand how your fear archetype is affecting you, but also where you can start to see it in the people that you're close to, because it really makes a difference in relationships also. It is fascinating hearing you talk about yourself because we know each other fairly well, but not we're not like, oh, we've hung out all the time, but I I followed your journey, you followed mine. But you saying that, it's, it's so much clearer to me. Like, hey, I realized that Ruth probably is the outcast. And when you say, oh, I'm not a procrastinator, that's not high for me. I'm like, yeah, no kidding. She just goes and does anything. <laughs> like, I mean, just look at the laundry list of sites you have and projects you have. Uh, there's there's no room for procrastination because you're just like, oh, I guess I'm just going to do this. I mean, watching your journey, I, honestly, I I consider myself fairly motivated and, and you know, a go-getter. And I just watch. I'm like, she's putting out a planner. She's doing another book. She has another website. Now she's starting a podcast. Like, how are you able to juggle I, I should mention you also have three kids yeah, two um, kids. Two, oh, excuse two me kids. two kids two. yeah I I am going to have two I was like she has one more than me but I don't have the second one yet so there was a mistake <laughs> so how are you juggling this because that is a skill in and of itself and one that that's a really good question it, it's it is something you work on like it's not oh she's just good at it and she can do it I, I know from my entrepreneurial journey this is something that I continue to develop as a skill over and over. And you do get better, but you're yes. never there. You, no, you're never there. And it's always a work in progress. Like I, you know, honestly, I think you kind of go through seasons. So the one thing that I have going in my favor is that I'm, I'm, very productive and I'm very good at productivity. I have a planner company. I actually teach people productivity for a living. I teach goal setting. I teach here's how you break down your big goal into manageable bites. I have a whole time management system called think big plan small. So like literally I live and breathe this stuff. And, and one of our other core values in our company, um, other than do it scared is we live what we teach. And so I not only am insistent that I follow our time management system, but I make sure that all my team members are also following the time management system as well. So they're all required to use our planner. They're all required to like use time blocking and set their goals. And we talk about goals for the, for the month and for the week. And, and so we try to, I think that helps us get more done. And so I, I mean, obviously that's a huge advantage. The fact that we live and breathe this stuff and teach it to other people that you, I think you, you teach the things that you most need to learn or something like that, or you only achieve mastery when you start teaching. Um, so that definitely helps. But even even with that, I think that I've learned to give myself a lot of grace in different things. So like I said, I'm not necessarily a procrastinator or a perfectionist. So I don't I don't get upset if we make mistakes. Another one of our core values is there are no mistakes, only lessons, which is also one of my principles of courage, which is in my new book. Um, but I think that it's really important to just kind of put stuff out there and then be willing to go back and fix things and evaluate how, like what worked, what didn't work. And, um, so I do that. And so right now I think I'm in a season, you know, I've been in a very busy season for the last year of write, first writing the book and then Elite Blog Academy, my blogging program, we completely revamped that and launched EBA 4.0 this year, which was a huge amount of work. And then we went straight into launching the book, which is launching a book is more work than actually writing it because you have to do all the PR and all the just everything. I mean, it's been months of months of hustle. And what I've realized I kind of had last week, I was thankfully had a kind of a little 
private retreat um, or a personal retreat for a few days and had a chance to sort of take a step back for the first time in a long time and realize, you know what, I've really let some of the leadership side of things go in my company. And now, now I need the pendulum to switch, to shift the other way. And instead of me hustling, I need to like stop hustling and start leading again. And it's okay. Like I'm not mad at myself because I knew that I was in a a season of hustle when there were certain things that only I could do. But I also realized that if I want to make my company sustainable for the long term, I need to have other people be able to do things also. Does that make sense? Yeah. And is that something that you planned out? I mean, now you knew the book launch was going to happen and, and you knew yep. EBA 4.0 was going to happen. So you have those yep. on the calendar. But did you almost say, I'm going, I know that I can't do everything. So I know that leadership is going to lack a little bit or I'm going to be more hands off and kind of let this thing go and tread water in some areas. And then when this is over, I'm jumping back in and I'm going to take this and make this, you know, kind of plug this hole or make this better. Yeah, that's uh, yes. So last year, you know, I have an executive team with my company. So I have, I think we have like 15 full-time team members now. And of the 15, I have... That's a um, lot. Because I, when we first met, I mean, how many did you... I, know, did you, I had like two. two. One, two? I don't know. I uh, think you're buying one person a computer in Canada because they were yeah. like, you're one full-time employee and the Canadian dollar was really weak compared to the US yeah. dollar. So we all went and bought Apple products, which was pretty funny. That's right. We and, did. I yeah. bought her a computer. Yeah. That is... So true. That is so funny. Yeah, I don't buy my employees' computers. Well, now you have fifteen, <laughs> so it's a little yeah. more expensive when you go out and buy your employees yeah. that stuff. Now, I hope they don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> so, so you've, all right, you've it's grown true. to fifteen people, which is which yeah, is pretty insane people. in itself. So last year, at the beginning of 2018, I formed an actual executive team, so or a leadership team. So there's four of us on the exec team, and we meet. Um, I mean, we meet weekly, like via Zoom. My whole team is virtual. I have two people that are in office with me. We have a headquarters building in Florida and then the rest of the people are virtual. And um, so my executive team is kind of like the people that I bounce things off of. So, and we, we do planning and we set quarterly goal, like we set annual goals, we set quarterly goals, we break them down, we're using our, using our systems and we're pretty intentional about what we do. And we also, and then each of, each of the leader members of the leadership team lead a smaller team and they meet with their team weekly. So we have a pretty good, clear structure. We're like a legit company at this point. It's kind of crazy. We even have an org chart. (laughs) and benefits and like crazy stuff, you know, it's just feel sometimes it feels crazy. I feel like such an adult. And um, so I think when we, when we were looking at this year, when we were starting to do our annual planning, which was last October, we were starting a plan for 2019, because when you're an adult, you have to plan way out in advance. Um, it was very obvious that the first half of 2019 was just going to be a crazy season. And it had already 2018 was was a pretty busy, crazy year anyways. And then we knew going like, we basically had a joke that we would sleep in June was the joke in our company. Because and we told our team, like, nobody gets to take vacations for the first five months of the year, we just we have to be it's all hands on deck for five months straight. Normally, we do EBA. And then we have like, kind of a lull where that's like, you know, things go se- go seasonal. And so EBA always launches in the first week of March. And then we kind of take a little break because everybody's exhausted from that. But we didn't get to do that this time. And but what we also said was, hey, like, because I'm going to be so taxed on the actual promote like promotion and being the face of the company. Like there's so many things that only I can do. I had to step back from a lot of stuff and have other people take that over, which was fine um, and necessary, but it also, you know, now it's time for the pendulum to switch back the other way and to, and to take back and, and take that step back because there are some things I really feel like as the CEO of a company and as the strategy, like this, the main strategist of my company, that if I'm the only one with that big picture perspective, do you feel like that? Yes, but I want to do some diagnosis of fear on the fly here because oh, are you seeing my outcast come so, out? Well, I'm just gonna. I know I'm gonna have you diagnose me. I can, I oh, certainly okay. can't diagnose you yet. Okay. I I have I have to go through that assessment more. I have to finish the book, all that good stuff. But hearing people, this has always happened to me when I hear people talk about starting uh, having a team that big and um especially about productivity because uh, you know a lot of my friends are in the productivity space like we have time management we have these calendars we have this 
I just get so anxious because I think if I have that, like if I am, if I'm kind of blocking myself into this structure, I feel like I'm not free. And I do a lot of things last minute and, you know, I want to be spontaneous. And even though I say all the time on our podcast, like, organization breeds spontaneity for me because it does i still get anxious when i hear people talk about that because i'm like oh i should i should talk to ruth about her productivity or morning routine and then i'm like <laughs> but i don't want a morning routine i don't want to have someone tell me what to do so obviously there's fear there so true. there's fear yeah. of, of of like if i give up the fact that i can do anything whenever i want th- I'm going to be boxed in. I'm always going to have this routine, even though I know that's not the case. And even though I know that when I am super organized, I really do relish what comes about and I'm super, I'm way more productive. I guess walk me through that. If someone feels that way, they're like, well, I just am not that way naturally. I'm not super organized. I'm not like, I don't want to be a product- productivity guru, but I do want yeah. what comes out of it. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that you have to think about this from a slightly different perspective. Like this is not necessarily the fear that's holding you back. It's, but there is a fear here that's saying like, what do you actually want? I think there's like for this, and this is so true for any entrepreneur. And I, I have a master. I'm another thing that I do is I have this mastermind, um, that I coach of 13 entrepreneurs, um, and 13 women. And they're amazing. I've been doing this for three years and I love it. And we talk about this a lot because there are, what happens with every entrepreneur is that you will reach a point of capacity. And, you know, for, for most entrepreneurs, the first, like the first level that it happens at is around the 300 to $500,000 mark, like somewhere in there, you hit that ceiling of you cannot do that. You can't do it by yourself anymore. You need some sort of help. Like maybe, maybe you have a part-time VA, but you really need like a full-time person or something, something else Like you need to start actually creating that company. But what I tell people when they get to that point is, uh, you can, you've just bought yourself a very well-paying job. $300,000 a year is a great job. And your margins at that point are probably really high. You're probably doing like 80% margins. Like you, you bought yourself a, a really good job. But if you want a company, you're going to have to then take the next step. And then there's another, like the next stair step is from the 500,000 to a million mark. And then from the 1 million to 3 million mark usually, and then three to three to five and five to 10. So that's like, from what I've seen from all the coaching that I've been doing from that I've done, it's like almost consistently, if somebody says they feel like they feel like they need to grow, but they're stuck or they're at max capacity, they're almost always at one of those, like trying to go from one of those jumps to the next one. And the thing about all of that is, is that you have to get really clear about what you want and what a, what a, what happiness and what a great business looks like to you to like, I don't, I never try to coach somebody to create the kind of business that I've built because that's, if you, if you want to know how to build a huge team and how to operate your team, like I get geek out on that kind of stuff. I love being a CEO. Like it's not just for me being, being able to create content, which I love doing that too. I love writing. There's lots of stuff that I love, but I love building a team and I love leadership and I love leading other leaders to then lead their teams. And like that stuff excites me, but it doesn't excite everybody for some, for for someone like you, if you are, if that feels like hell to you, then that is not the business that you should build. You should build the business that keeps you small and dynamic and nimble and gives you great money and great freedom. And that is a perfectly okay thing to, but I think sometimes we see what other people are doing and we think we're doing something wrong if we're not doing, if we're not building the business that we see our peers building and you don't have to, like you get to choose, you get to, that's the beauty of being an entrepreneur is you get to choose exactly what your business looks like. I mean, honestly, my husband looks at it, would look at a business like yours. That's way fewer people and way, and still making great money and go, why can't you do that? He asked me that almost every day. He's like, why do you need to have so many people? Can't we just like, can't you just scale back? Can't you just go back to when it was like just you and like two people and it was so uncomplicated. And I was like, I don't feel like it was ever uncomplicated for me, (laughs) but but he would he, like that would be his dream. My dream is to build something that's bigger than me. My my dream is to build something that will exist someday, hopefully independently of me. And I think that that is 
that's not everybody's dream, nor does it have to be. Yeah, I think that was a really, really wise words. And I, one of the quotes that came up recently when we were talking to some people in our location indie community was, uh, there was a quote that they said, freedom is our currency. And I think that's super important because obviously freedom gets to be defined by each of us. And, and what does that mean? And where do we like spending our time, right? Do we like spending our time leading a big group? Do we like spending our time just creating content and, and doing it all ourselves? You know, where do we like to spend our time? And, and what do we think freedom is? And that's much more valuable than if you say that's your currency versus, you know, straight currency, cash, money, yes. how much revenue you're doing, because you could be doing crazy 100%. revenue. 100%. You could be paying it all out. You could have no time. You could be stressed out. And we all know that we've seen entrepreneurs get there where they're just trading a job working for someone else to have their own company, but they're no happier. And but they have slaves ch- to it. Yeah. 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 And they totally, built totally. And you have to know what you like. And honestly, the business that I have would not be freedom to a lot of people. I like, I, and this is important to know this too. Like I wouldn't just recommend taking the fear assessment. I also recommend, I'm sure you've done strengths finders and, and that kind of stuff. Like for me, adaptability is my bottom strength. And that is my husband's number one. So of course he wants like his ultimate goal and thank goodness he's retired. His ultimate goal is to literally not do anything. Like he just wants to be able to hang out and take each day as it comes. Like I spend two days on the weekends at home pacing around the living room. If I'm like, not, if I don't have something to do, I always need to have something to do. And I love to have a plan and I love to have like things to do. I I'm happiest when I'm busy. And I think it's taken me a long time to realize that that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with me. That's just the way I'm wired. So now like I do try to take time off of work, but then I know that if I'm at home, I need to have a project like I'm decorating or I'm going shopping or we're going to the beach or, or something. I never sit, I never sit down. Like I can't stand that. It it makes me crazy. So you are the type of person when you're, when you're traveling, (laughs) it's like, 15 what are we things. gonna do here we yep. go this museum at three this museum at 325 don't be late like yes. we got entrance okay. yeah that's why my husband is not even going with me this this time i'm taking my daughter he after last we went to um scotland ireland and L- london last summer and he was like yeah i'm not going with you anymore <laughs> so He's taking our youngest daughter on a cruise, which where they can just do nothing, leave from Florida, don't even have to get in an airplane. And then I'm taking my oldest daughter to um, France and Italy for 10 days. So I love that that you see the personality traits in your children and say, all right, you two are going to have a great time. We're going to have a great time. And you're cool with it. Yeah, it's it is it's kind of neat and we're actually excited about this and I know your your second baby hasn't been born yet but but we Soon have two enough. girls Soon and enough. so we um we have two girls and they're pretty close in age and they're very like very close but they're very different but the problem when you have two kids of the same sex I think is that you tend to like lump them as a unit and treat them almost as like the same person and they get very little like independent time or independent like getting to know them as people rather than as the girls. And, um, so we're actually, we kind of, this, it all sort of happened accidentally that we were, that we were even doing these separate trips, but now that we're doing it, we're just so excited to actually like give them each alone time with us so that we can kind of start to treat them as individual people. Cause they're now 10 and 12. So they, they have little personalities of their own. Yeah. They're really starting to develop in who they are. And I think that's probably pretty interesting for you to see which traits one of your daughters has of you, which trait they have of your husband and vice versa. It is very interesting to see. Yeah. Sometimes they each have different, different pieces of me. Like my oldest daughter, she's typical oldest child, like very much rule follower, which is not me at all, but like you know, creative and, and she's high achiever and she likes to write and she, she has all like kind of has her, has her crap together. My youngest daughter is like a train wreck all the time. I mean, she, and I know that she was exactly what I was like as a child. Like she's just like a spitfire. She pushes limits all the time and she's a walking disaster. Her desk is messy at school. Her backpack is just like papers falling out of it. Her room is always a mess. And she she makes us so like pulling her, we pull our hair out with her all the time. Cause we're like, what are we going to do with her? 
And because um, she's like almost uncontainable. And then my husband all the time is like, oh, my gosh, this is this is what you were like as a child. <laughs> and it so is. I was a mess. I was such a like just pushed every limit all the time. So that's interesting to me. I, not the pushing limits thing. I totally get that <laughs> from knowing you. But the the like messy, just stuff everywhere. But now you're so into like, I mean, I'm just looking at the background because we're on video and everything is like picture perfect in the right spot. We've always talked about like you have an org chart for your business and everything is like, hey, we're time blocking and all that stuff. Where where do you think that change happened? Like, why do you think this idea of, of being more regimented, I, I don't even know if that's where it's structured maybe came from if growing up, you know, your personality was one of like, all right, I'm just kind of going with the flow and I'm going to be all over the place. But funny, like I'm selectively, and I'm still like this, I'm selectively structured. So when I care about something or I'm like, I'm so driven in certain areas and when I really care about something, then I'm like on it and so on top of it and so organized. But then in other areas of my life that I don't care about as much, I am a mess, like, like complete chaos. My husband says, since he married me, it's been 15 years of chaos. Like our life, we've moved 17 times. You know, we just like, there is always something that's very, like very chaotic going on. Um, but at the same time, like I'm so regimented in, in some areas, but then completely chaotic in others. And I reserve the right to be completely inconsistent. <laughs> what What is, what's an area that you're chaotic in? Um, so like, my bedroom, for instance, I am like during the week, I leave messes everywhere. I make, I make my husband crazy because he's the one now that stays home and takes care of the house. And like, I'll get on, un- I'll get undressed at night and leave my clothes on the floor and he'll put, he'll fold my laundry all neatly and put it on my dresser for me to put away. And I won't put it away. I won't unpack my suitcase until the next time I'm going on a trip and I'll leave my makeup out on the counter. But then on the weekends, then when I need a project, then I'll let go and clean the whole house and it'll be like spotless and so organized. And then I let it get messy again. So it's just kind of wherever my focus is at that time, that's what's getting my attention. And then it's amazing. But then if, if my focus turns away, it's like (laughs) complete chaos. All right. So that's one way we're very much alike. It's like full on, (laughs) oh my gosh, I'm going to learn everything about this or just be so into this that you know, there could be craziness happening around me. I'm like, "Ah, I don't care. I'm just, I'm figuring this out. And then if it doesn't, yeah, if it has my attention, great. If not, sorry. (laughs) That's so true. And I think that like, I think I used to feel frustrated with myself more about it of like, why can't I, you know, why can't I be good at more things? Like all of these things at once, why can't I get my act together and certain stuff? Like I used to be really hard on myself about it. And now I, I kind of just think, like, it's okay to, again, go through seasons. It's okay. It's just kind of like in my business, like I was focused on one thing and other stuff got a little bit chaotic. And I, I hope, and I mean, thankfully I have enough good people that I've surrounded myself with that. It's not that things don't completely fall apart. Just like at home, my husband is like amazing. And so things don't completely fall apart there. Like, I think that's really important to find people that compliment your weaknesses. Because when I, I know that like my gift is that when I do pour into something and put my full attention on something, it is going to be amazing. And then, and that's like, that's my superpower. And so that's where I have to just like realize there's only so many hours in the day. I can only do so many things. So I better make sure that what I'm, what, where my energy is focused is what I need it to be focused on. And then I need to be okay with letting the rest go. Yeah. One of the things that I I went back and reread your story today, like you have a few posts, I guess five part post of basically your story and pulling yourself out of depression and everything. And, uh, and a story about meeting your husband and how you guys were so opposite, but then like instantly attracted and, and everything that went there. I think that's a really important point that you hit on is that you, you can be different and, and it's, it's okay to give yourself permission to not be what you think is the perfect version of yourself because you probably are putting way more stress on yourself and expecting so much more out of yourself than someone else. And I'm assuming then your husband is a great person to bounce, not that he wants like clothes all over the house, (laughs) but when you're saying, oh my gosh, I wish I was better at this, to say, hey, 
have some perspective, like look at what you've got going on right now. Yes. Yeah. And I think, but I think like where I've had to like learn and where we've both had to learn and grow is where sometimes if something's not important to me and I don't focus on it, like it is important to him. Like he's the one at home and he feels like now if the house is messy, he didn't used to care because he was the one going to work and I was the one at home, but now he does care if the house is messy. And so I think we've just had to learn how to navigate that because it, for a while, I think it felt disrespectful to him that I wasn't picking up after myself when really it just felt like, why do you care? Why do you care? It's my stuff. I'll pick it up when I can pick it up and I'll, I'll be on Saturday when I'm not like not going to work every day. And um, I think that we are like we are very opposite. We've both done the strengths, strengths finders and we've both done we did actually there's a book called Strengths Based Marriage that we did together, which was amazing for us because what we discovered is that his his top 10 strengths are my bottom 10 strengths and vice versa. Like we are literally as opposite as opposite can be. So his number one is adaptability. My number 34 is adaptability. And what we realized is that we, most of our fights are totally based around that, around that like tension, because I always want to have a plan. He never wants to have a plan. And I'm always like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? How are we going to like, and focus is actually my number one too. So I, or I think focus is my number one and adaptability. Wait, adaptability is your bottom. So my top is focus and that's his bottom is focus. And I think me and your husband will get along pretty well at this point, (laughs) listening to his strengths and weaknesses. But focus is like a blessing and a curse, right? Because when I'm focused on one thing, it means everything out is everything else is out of focus. And so I think when we've, it gave us a framework to talk about our differences and realize like that we weren't actually trying to drive each other crazy. That's just sort of the way that we are wired. And we have a lot more more, I think a lot more patience for each other and our differences. And also we even just, it's so funny. We just had this conversation this morning as we were having coffee in our strengths finder mugs <laughs> that have our top five strengths on them. We use them every morning and it's like a reminder that it's okay to be different. And, um, but what we were saying is that like, and what I've had to learn this, and this goes for life and for business, but what I've had to learn is that the, the same qualities and strengths that make me good at what I do are what make me a hard person to live with. So it's like, and I feel like, like that happens for everybody. And that's true, whether it's, we're talking about fear or we're talking about, um, any other traits or qualities in our life, the things that like our greatest superpowers are also our greatest weaknesses. And you have to learn how to navigate that tension. Because if I tried to mitigate, if I tried to mitigate, those things that I like that make me good at what I do, I would also risk the danger of like tempering, tempering the, the superpower. And, and yet I have to learn how to manage, manage that stuff too. And so it's just a, like, it's such an interesting tension to walk. And I don't know that there's ever anybody that walks it perfectly. I certainly don't, but it's, I think it's good to have like those kind of self-realizations about yourself. This is very deep. One of the neat things <laughs> that you did, I, I remember chatting about this after we had met, was because I we we were thinking about having a family and and you were talking about schooling. Was you decided because you mentioned moving quite a bit, but you were in Florida and then you decided to move back to where you're from around Seattle and then move back to Florida. So I know a lot of people listening and myself included are like, all right, with kids, like not that I want to be nomadic. I'm not going to travel around all the time. I do have to start thinking about schooling. But I also don't want to necessarily be tied nine months out of a year to some specific place. So you decided to, while the kids were in school, make this move. What did you learn from that? Because you ultimately decided to come back from Florida. What did you learn from moving across the country and then coming back to where you had started? Oh, that's an interesting question. So we, I think, like we learned... I think what I learned was different than what my husband learned. But I think that what I learned was that I actually don't care where we live. And my husband cares a lot where we live because I think he's more of a home buddy. He wants to be where he wants to be. He doesn't love to travel, which I don't understand at all because I would travel all the time. Um, He it matters. And he likes warm weather. So it matters to him that we're in Florida. Like I was I like. Seattle. I like Florida. I like, I like 
every place, you know, like it doesn't, it actually doesn't matter to me that much where I am. Like that's, I think that was a big realization, but it was hard. The school thing was hard. So our kids, what grades were they? They went up, we were up there for a year. They were in second grade and fifth grade up there. And that was a challenge, especially for my youngest daughter. She really struggled that year. We moved back to my hometown that I grew up in. And it's a very small town of, and it's a, it's one of those kind of closed communities where everybody who's there has grown up there and they have their own set of like societal norms. And I, of course, know them because I grew up there, but for my kids coming in, like having not grown up there, they really didn't know how to navigate it. And Maggie's pretty like adaptable and she did fine. She's, but Annie's a much more like, I don't know, just Annie's like, the one like pers- you, right? Yeah, she's yeah. a strong personality. Adaptability and so- is at the bottom for her. <laughs> so she really struggled with it. And it was amazing. And even in second grade, there's like mean girls in second grade. And she really, really, really struggled that year to the point where we were actually like worried about her mental health. And you hear all this stuff about kids. And it was it was a little scary. And so we were ready after a year to to go back and be, and so, and then after that, my husband tried homeschooling for, um, six months and he was like, I think I want to try homeschooling and see how this goes. And because we also like the idea of having a lot of flexibility and homeschooling is amazing. I homeschooled for a year and I really liked it. And then that was before my husband came home and my kids were much younger then, but he, um, again, does not like schedules and routines. He's like you. So if you're not willing to do schedules and routines, like homeschooling becomes a little bit harder because especially as your kids get older, because there's just like, you got to have something. And (laughs) so after, after a half a year, he was like, yeah, this is not working for me. And he decided to send them back to school. And then we were, they were going to a private school, but we weren't super happy. Like it was great when they were younger, but it was, we weren't super happy with the older levels. And it's, it's as your kids get older, you start to care about the school thing more and more. I think when they were younger, you're just kind of like, eh, they don't even know the difference, which is probably true. Like, I mean, how hard is it to teach kids? Like there are little kids that are just learning. Everything is new. You could just have them at home and they'd be learning what they needed to learn. But as they get into like junior high and then high school, you start to think, oh my goodness, like they have to start thinking about college and all these things. And um, I want them to actually like have a good sense of what's going on. So we are moving now to... um, to a new place. We're building a house at Babcock Ranch in Florida, which is the first ever solar powered community in the United States. And they have an amazing school. It's a charter school and it's already been ranked like the top school in the state. And it's pretty, it's pretty cool. We call it the hippie school. It's, uh, it's very, it's very hippie. They do all project-based learning and (laughs) yeah, I I told you she, I've been, (laughs) I've been picking your brain about Florida and you were sending me like, here's where we're going. Here's the model of home we're getting. I'm just like, Oh, that's, I could end up doing this. You, you, you mentioned that if you could, like you travel a ton and and travel is a passion of yours and you love getting out and experiencing new things. What role do you think that has played in shaping who you are and and what this has become this whole your whole movement essentially i mean do it scared is a movement everything you're kind of doing you actually have multiple movements of course because they're (laughs) they fall in different buckets i think but what do you think like what did travel how did that inspire you or, or help motivate you to do everything that you are currently accomplishing i think it just is for me it's a way of sort of fully enjoying what I'm doing. I like, I love to work and I love the fact that I've been successful enough uh, in what I've done to like literally go anywhere and do anything and do all of these cool things in the world. And so for me, travel is almost like a confirmation of the fact that I've worked really damn hard. And I haven't, you know, because, because I think that I, there was probably a point in my life where I would have never imagined that I would travel to Kenya or I would go to Australia or I would go to, where did we go last year? To Bolivia, you know, just all of these really cool places that I don't think that I would have like really seen myself doing that stuff. But now, now 
I, I have a whole list of all the places that I want to go. I'm like, and when are we going to Antarctica? And I want to go to, you know, Morocco and I like Cambodia is high on my list. And, and these, whereas before it was those kind of things never even appealed to me, but I think it's now almost this like, yeah, if I can, if I can create this business, I can also go travel the world and I can afford to go travel the world. And it's kind of cool because I'm so like high energy all the time that it's, I think it's really the only time when I'm traveling that I actually like take a step back and enjoy the fruits of what I've built as a, as far as a business. So it allows you a bit of a release too. Like you're not around where you are and, and your, your headquarters and your home. So you have to almost take a step back. Yes. Yeah. And I'm pretty good at that. When I'm traveling, I'm pretty good at like not checking in and not trying to work on the road. And I just kind of unwind and unplug and let it happen. Yeah. I just, I just peeped your Instagram (laughs) earlier and you had a pretty sweet trip recently. I don't know when this was. You're at Necker Island. I was at Necker Island last week, which that was insane. I mean, talk about next level of just I mean, I love staying in really nice places. Neckart Island is like beyond, beyond nice. It's just, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> it's really ridiculous. But it was, I mean, but in this like really fun and laid back kind of way. And there's, I mean, you, there's only 30 people on the island and I think they have a staff of like a hundred or something like that. I mean, <laughs> unlimited drinks, food, like unlimited food, just beautiful, the beyond beautiful. I got to sit next to Richard Branson at dinner and have a whole conversation with him. I mean, my biggest takeaway from the trip was this crazy realization that like, oh my gosh, if I can be sitting here at Necker Island having dinner with Richard Branson, there's literally nothing in the world that I can't do. Anything that I have been afraid to do, I should just stop being afraid because this is a thing that I would have thought would be completely impossible. Like if you would have told me this five years ago that I would be sitting next to one of the most famous billionaires in the world and sitting in a place where Princess Diana and Nelson Mandela and Barack Obama have sat, like sitting at the same table as them, and that like I would have said, you're crazy. This is never like something like that would never happen to me. I'm not that girl, but now I am that girl. And so now I think, oh my gosh, what, what next? What else can I do? It almost like opened up a whole world of possibilities that I didn't, didn't even know existed. Yeah. Five, I mean, five years ago, you were sitting next to dinner with me and now it's Richard (laughs) Branson. So look how far you've come. That was really good too. (laughs) (laughs) You, you mentioned though, now saying, because I think this is we we think you get over fear or you break through a ceiling and then it's it's fine but you just mentioned hey i've done all this stuff and now i had another almost epiphany moment being here that if i can do this what can i do and and you should let go of those fears what scares you currently like what are things that you now know are fears that you're like this is silly i should just go and do this well, the rejection thing has been uh, like that has probably been the most like frequently recurring thing. And it comes back, you know, fear is almost like a shapeshifter. You think you've like conquered it and then it comes back in a different form a little bit later, but it's all part of the same underlying, the underlying fear. And I think for me, that has been just, I like, had I not been doing all this work on fear over the past few, like the past year, I don't even think I would have showed up to that, to something like that. I would not have dared say yes, but I said, yeah, I got the opportunity and I immediately said yes before I even had a chance to think about it. I just said yes, because I knew that first of all, like one of the things, one of the biggest, like things that I got out of the study that we did was not even just about fear, but the fact that so many people have such huge regrets. And I talk about this in the book about the, the, the pain of regret being so much worse than the pain of failure. And so when this opportunity came up, I to to go to to go to Necker Island and meet Richard Branson and hang out with this amazing group of 30 female entrepreneurs and I couldn't believe that I was even like being asked to go. Um I think that there's like so much there was 
had this not happened, I think there two things would have held me back. The first, the like thought of like going to a place where there were 30 people that I didn't know who were all like obviously way more amazing than me and that I would feel like the the girl who was like crashing the party I wasn't invited to because a lot of them had like connected be- like beforehand. They knew each other already. I was a latecomer to this party. It was like a secondary invitation. So my whole like outcast. Yeah, like, I can see that. All that going. fear. Yeah. Of like, oh, I'm just, you know, they went down a list on number 45. Everyone else said no. Here I come. Whatever. Yeah. I won't fit in. They all know each other. Like, they don't even want me there. Everybody's going to hate me. I'm just a big dork. Like, all of those things I think would have, and those, and those things still happened. But I also knew they they hated you. Those things happened. No, no. (laughs) You mean the fear before. Yeah. yeah. And the fear still happened. But I also knew, and this was the thing that made me say yes, because I knew that if I said no, I would spend the rest of my life wishing that I had said yes. I would look at the pictures of those people and look at their Instagram feeds and know that I could have been there and I would have regretted it for the rest of my life. And so before I could att- like even talk myself out of it, I said yes, and which was crazy. And then I spent, and then I didn't think about it because we were very busy getting ready for the book launch. And then last weekend, when I was getting ready to go and I was packing, I like had like panic of just like, what did I do? And I wanted to, I almost backed out then. I was like, would it be crazy to not go? Like they're like, they're going to hate me. It's going to be awful. And you know what? I got there and it wasn't awful. They were so welcoming and so wonderful. And I made so many great new friends and I would have never dared to say, Hey, I've got this book. Um, that just came out, would you like a copy? And I gave it to him, which I think like that overcoming that fear for me was like huge because I don't think I would have ever done that in the, in the past had I not, had I not been doing this work. Yeah. I, that, <laughs> so, all right. So the seven seconds of courage thing, essentially, I, I'm sure people have heard of that. It's like, you know, do take seven seconds of courage, do the thing you're fearful of. In this case for you, it was just saying yes to, to, an invitation that obviously on the outside sounds awesome. Like you're going to pri- Richard Branson's private. I don't know that, but there is that underlying, oh my gosh, I, I, I'm, I'm an imposter, right? And we hear that a lot, yes. imposter syndrome. And you just said, I'm going to make this decision before I, I can't say no. And, and you did it. And I, and I think that there's a huge lesson there with, for people just to commit, you know, whether that's putting money down, whether that's telling someone, uh, in your case, I, I assume it was just saying yes to someone and then. Yes. And it was a lot of money. Yeah. It was I, a lot of money. I'm guessing yeah, you don't go to Richard Branson's <laughs> island <laughs> for a, trip. oh, I'm going to travel hack my way there. Maybe I can get in for a thousand dollars. Yeah. I did use points for, we had to stay at a different hotel the first night before going over to his thing. And I, I did use, I did use points. I, I travel hack with the best of them trap. You know, I love me some travel hack. We could we could do a whole podcast just on that. <laughs> yeah, where where do you actually fly into to get to the island? You have to fly first to San Juan. I flew to San Juan on Delta, and then I had to take a, a small airline um, to Tortola, and then we took a boat over to Scrub Island, and we stayed there for one night, and or I stayed there for one night, and then his boats, his private boats, come and pick you up. <laughs> private jet boats it's like i mean he does have a helicopter he didn't send the helicopters so there you go i next didn't time. i did yeah maybe next time now that we're bffs that's right well he's got your book i'm sure he's read all the way through it right away he's probably yep. he's yep. you've got a call with him right after this podcast i'm sure so if if we wanted to break this down and obviously people should go grab the book find out their fear archetype but what is the what would be the overarching message that you would want this book and this movement to send to people? Because fear is in every single one of us. I know you said you felt fearless and there's sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm extroverted and I like being around people. Like there's times where I also feel like because of my personality, I've been blessed with, oh yeah, I got this, you know, I got this. But then we just, you know, you diagnosed me there a little bit. There's uh, plenty of underlying fears around a lot of other stuff. stuff. Yeah. All of us have fear. What should people take away from this? I think it's it, the biggest takeaway and the biggest thing that I've learned is that it doesn't have to control you. Like, first of all, you need you need to you need to get the diagnosis. So take the assessment, which you can do at our website at doitscared.com. It's actually free to take the, the we have a free version and then there's an upgraded version where it'll actually it'll go way more in depth, which I highly recommend doing that one as well. But um, go take the assessment and 
so get like one, because knowledge is power when it comes to fear. And once you see how that stuff is happening, then I think the biggest takeaway is that it doesn't have to control you anymore. You don't have to let fear stand in your way. And even if you're not even recognizing it as fear, there is probably something standing in your way that you don't even realize. There's something holding you back in ways that maybe you're not even recognizing right now. You're not acknowledging, but you you get that insight into yourself, into wh- what might be holding you back, and then you can do something about it. And that's and that's pretty amazing. And it doesn't mean that you're not still going to feel the fear, but you have so much more power over it because it's conscious, not subconscious anymore. I love the analogy you made. I just want to hit that home again. It's, it is like going to a doctor and saying, hey, I have something wrong with me. Here are my symptoms. Oh, they can you know do their thing, say, Here's what's wrong, and here's how to start getting past it versus sitting there and saying, I feel this way, but I don't even know what to do because there's no one giving you any guiding light. And that's what I think is exactly. so cool. Again, I'll just reiterate about the book is that it's not just here's me and here's some rah, rah, rah inspirational stuff. Yeah. It's, hey, I can help you be inspired. I can help you be motivated. I'll tell you my story. I'll be open and honest. But there's also a lot of scientific stuff behind it to help each person really start to realize where that fear lives and why it lives there. Yes. Yeah. It's very practical too. I love, I love giving very practical steps that you can follow. Like, here's what you do. Do this and this and this and this. Yes. I Because <laughs> I'm so focused. That's right. Because you're like, I want a checklist. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. All right. I'm good to go. I've accomplished that goal. Yeah, just Let's don't move look at my closet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This may be the longest answer you have the whole podcast, but what do you have coming up in the pipeline? Because I'm sure you're not stopping. Uh, What what do you guys have coming up? Actually, you'll be surprised. The second half of 2019, we are doing nothing but back-end internal cleanup, restructuring, uh, working on our systems and processes, cleaning up funnels, like all the stuff that, you know, we've been ignoring for a while and that is going to be essential to scaling up. So I would like to, you know, eventually scale up, but I also know that if I don't spend some time clean, it's like my closet, you know, if I don't get it organized, then it's going to be really hard to, it's going to be really hard to figure out what to wear. (laughs) So no, that was such a girl analogy. (laughs) Hey, works for me. Everyone understands it. So no, not a ton of forward facing stuff, but obviously you've just done a ton and we're going to tell people right now, how can they, like, where should they go? Because you do have a, a bunch of different arms here. And actually, your website, I told you before we even popped on because we were nerding out a bit on like on graphic design and user interface. And I said, Ruth, we're getting our site redone. And I'm using a lot of what you do as a model because you have multiple sites based on multiple different projects, but you do a very good job explaining to people what each one does instead of just saying like, blah, here's the four things I do. You're like, how does this work? Yeah. So give it to us in audio form, the stuff you do and how it all works together. (laughs) Yeah. So my overarching company is Ruth Sukup Omnimedia. And, um, what we do is we provide practical solutions for home and business to help you create a life you love. And we do that primarily by focusing on four different areas. The first is lifestyle. So you can find all of our lifestyle information, which is really about how to run your home more efficiently, how to save money, um, all, how to get food on the table faster, all kind of the basics. Because if we ha- don't have the basics covered, especially for women, because my audience is a lot of women, if we don't have those basics covered, it's really hard to think about anything else. It's hard to think about productivity when you're hungry and your kids are asking you what what's what's for dinner. Um, so that's all at Living Well, Spending Less. Um, and then the next arm of our business is focused on productivity, which we talked a little bit about. And so that you can find everything at livingwellplanner.com. And we have a planner, obviously, that um, and then we teach a time management system along with that planner that's called Think Big, Plan Small. And then we have the business arm, which is for online entrepreneurs, people who are looking to start an online business. It's called Elite Blog Academy. And it's really um, just pretty much teaches we teach people an upside down business model, which is all about connecting with your like figuring out how to connect with your audience, creating a message first and then learning how to grow that audience. And then by that time, by the time you've created your built your tribe and created a relationship, selling to people is easy because you've already got the audience built in. 
So that's what we teach there. And then the final piece is do it scared, which is the motivation piece. And and the reason for that really is that all of the practical advice in the world is not going to help you if you don't also have the motivation to use it. Those two things go hand in hand. So I, because I love practical steps, I will tell you step-by-step how to coupon, how to clean your house, how to start a business. Like I love step-by-step, step-by-step instructions. But at the same time, if you don't have that, like if you don't have the heart piece and, and you don't have your mindset in place and you haven't figured out like how to overcome those internal demons that hold you back, which is really the fear. If you, if you don't have that piece of it, it's really hard to find the motivation to do all of that other cool stuff in your life. So that's where do it scared comes in. And that's just been so much fun. And I started a podcast last year and I, I, Oh my gosh, why didn't you tell me how fun it is to have a podcast? Because I, 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 I feel like I tell everyone it how so fun it is. Much. Yeah, it is. It's great. I love it so, so much. Yeah. So that's been just so much fun. And I feel like Do It Scared is just really my kind of passion project. But you can find all of that at doitscared.com. Wouldn't we all love to just have a passion project that has a book that that just had a huge (laughs) book launch a podcast that is awesome a website that looks great just on the side though just on the side um it's good stuff oh ruth thank you so much for joining me today and and really showing the world that you can wear a bunch of hats you can you can go after multiple passions and and be someone who's like i love productivity i love business i love teaching women how to run a household and i love talking about fear. You can do all these things. You can have your cake. You can eat it too. You can have kids. You can still travel. You can maybe go to Necker Island and you can have that whole life even oh if you are scared, right? And that's Yeah, but you might not have a clean closet all at the same time. That's true. That's so you, <laughs> she'll make a lot of promises, but she will not promise a clean closet. That's the one thing that Ruth won't promise. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ruth. Guys, if you're checking this Thank out, you. we are linking everything up in the show notes, but it's very easy. Do it scared. You can go find the podcast, the book, everything like that. And Ruth, they can find the book some pretty cool places. Like this is you didn't just yes. like self-publish a book, your New York no, Times bestseller. You can find your everywhere. book everywhere. So <laughs> give people just a little bit of a rundown of how they can find it. Yes, you can find it on Amazon, of course. It's at Barnes & Noble. The last time I checked, it was actually on the front table, which is kind of a big deal, guys. So go find it there. Take a picture and tag me because um, I love that. You can tag me at, at Ruth Sukup. And um, you can also find it at Target. So, and, and if you're at target, look on the big screens that they have in the book department, this big wall display video thing. And there's actually like a little video that they play at target, which feels pretty cool. And if you know anything about my story, like I started my blog originally living while spending less because I shopped too much at target and my husband and I were fighting about money. And so I feel like my entire life has come full circle now. <laughs> I love it. All right. I am going. So Heather always goes to Target and I'm always like, oh boy, like I don't want to go to Target, but I know if I don't go with her, then I'm going to take a hit That's financially. Right. Yeah. You don't talk to my husband because he has not figured that out yet. Okay. Well, this time I'm going to go willingly because I'm going to go, I'm going to go find Ruth's book. I'm going to take a picture by the big screen, hold up some books, send it to you. That's awesome. Ruth. Seriously, huge congrats on that and everything with the book launch. I mean, five years ago when we met, I I knew you were motivated and doing a lot of things. I don't think I could have even imagined all the great stuff that you've put out since then. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It was so fun. It was so good to catch up. Yeah. It's nice to turn the tables, right? You were a podcast host, but now you get to get interviewed. Now you need to come on my podcast. Let's do it. I'll do it. I'm a little scared though. Oh, bad (laughs) joke. Bad joke. Do it scared, Trav. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Ruth. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today for your continued support that makes us a number one rated travel podcast on Apple Podcasts. And until next time, guys, happy free travels. I'll show you Paris.